Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Hello, Hello everybody. Woo-hoo. Welcome to the Modernize or Die podcast, CFML News Edition. It is October 27th, 2020. I'm Eric Peterson, and I'm joined by Mr. Brad Wood. How you doing, Yay. Brad? I'm doing great, Eric. What happened to Gavin? Did he like fall off the edge of the planet or something? Uh, no, Gavin's doing all the behind-the-scenes work again. Oh, he's... It's like the Wizard of Oz. He's pulling the levers behind the little curtain, paying no right, attention. Right, paying no attention to the man behind the curtain. Okay, all right. So, but he chose to have the two of us talking, which is good news for us, and maybe that's it. Good news for egg lovers. So, <laughs> so we'd like to start off by thanking our sponsor, Order Solutions. You can get live training for the makers of your favorite box product. The last virtual workshops of the year are coming up. It's quick here on November fifth uh, and sixth. Additionally, CFCast releases new free and paid content every week. So check it out at cfcast.com and thank you order solutions. Also thank you to our Patreon supporters. We currently have 33 Patreon supporters providing 57% of our funding for these podcasts. If you love our podcasts and what we bring to the CFML community, consider chipping in. You can see, uh, see all the different tiers at patreon.com slash order solutions. Awesome. We have, what, 33 patrons right now. Yeah, it's great. And we are so grateful for them. We'll be reading their names at the end, as usual. We'll be butchering their names as much as possible at the end. <laughs> I think so we, right could do, into, what, we, could do, we could do a lot worse on the names if we tried. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, we could. You have to pay extra for that. <laughs> so speaking of news and events, what do we have queued up here? So the first one, let's see. I guess I keep that. Sorry, I'm relearning how to run the the slides. The first one that we'll talk about is Coldbox 6.1 has been released. All right. First first, mi- uh, first minor release of the 6 series. That's right. It It's a pretty small release, a few bug fixes and improvements. And the new feature is for your query string. When you pass it to a build link call, it can now be a struct, which will be converted to the right uh, format in the query string, which I love. So, you know, it, it's well, uh, sh- yeah. So, what's funny is we actually we borrowed that from framework one, that's a feature that framework one does. Um, and we were, I was converting an application for one of our clients from framework one to Colbox. And you know, for the, for the most part, it, it was very straightforward, just kind of find and replace, you know, change the build link, change the redirect calls and stuff like that. And I noticed that their, their link building functionality did the struct stuff. I was like, that's actually kind of handy. Um, let's just go ahead and add that into Coldbox since, you know, the way they were using it, they had optional query parameters and it was a little bit easier to deal with uh, optionally adding keys to a struct as opposed to optionally building up the string. So anyway. Anytime uh, you can handy. avoid doing string concatenation is a win in my book. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, yeah. Lists, lists are handy, but it's always, uh, always a bit of a pain and never performs as well as, um, as a struct or an array under any kind of uh, loads so right I agree so, with that. Uh, you can go ahead and upgrade your applications uh, again it's just a minor update so no breaking changes and enjoy the new goodness in cold box 6.1 so if you're using command box that's just you cd into the root of your project and you run update and it'll say hey there's an update for cold box do you want to install it and you say yes i do uh, that is assuming your semver range includes 6.1 but yes uh, well, yeah. So by default, if you just typed install cold box, use an application uh, template, you should have a caret range, which should automatically pull it in. But yes. If, if you pinned like, you know, 6.0.0 exactly, then obviously it won't, won't pull it in. Good, good old Simvar ranges. <laughs> we were talking about those yesterday about how the zero dot star ranges of sem- semantic version ranges are weird. Um, documented, but always trip me up since in the zero dot ranges they're all major versions in the second number so yeah i guess that's kind of popular in a lot of node libraries where you have these libraries that never reach a 1.0 is it's almost like java but java never reached the 2.0 yeah 
<laughs> it's like yeah. one point something forever. These of these libraries are like 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4. And like years go by and eventually they're, you know, essentially like, you know what, I guess, you know, 0 0.5 is pretty much just version five. Um, so then you have the carrot ranges that kind of say, okay, all right, the leftmost non-zero integer, that's now your major version. <laughs> and that's the carrot ranges. Yeah. But it's a little non-intuitive if, if you're not aware of it. Right. It just makes me laugh since everybody's like, oh, we don't want a 1.0 because we want to change our mind. But yet <laughs> we've built our tools to treat it as major versions. So really, we just did nothing different. I don't know what yeah, the I mean, difference is between having a 0 0.20 versus a version 20. So the, the proof's sort of in the pudding, I think. I mean, if you're going to change the API of a library, then you're going to change the API of the library, period. I mean, people are going to have to go through the work of that. It's really just like, uh keeping off the guilty feeling of oh man i don't want to have to do a major version bump it seems like that's all you're really avoiding when you avoid the major version um and of course you know your theory has kind of been like you want to make a breaking change just make it and then bump the major version what's the problem <laughs> right so anyway that was kind of a tangent but well anytime you can change non-semantic versions is <laughs> Semantics. So, <laughs> all right. Next piece of news. We have a release candidate for Command Box right now, Brad. How about you tell us about that? Yeah, we're in a release candidate. I probably really should cut RC.2 since I changed it, um, but I was feeling a little lazy, so I just updated the builds for RC.1. Um, so if you downloaded the first release candidate um, of Command Box, you should download it again because um, I did update it. So I got some feedback, which is good. Um, makes me glad I did a release candidate um, because I, I hate pushing stuff out and you're like, all right, major release, everybody update. And like, you know, one day later, someone's like, hey, this isn't right, is it? You're like, ah, crap. Um, so yeah, I got some feedback. Um, I talked to Pete Freitag about some of the security stuff, um, you know, the automatic locking down and he had some really good um, additions. Um, and I also was, was dealing with some... Uh, some security things we really wanted to tighten down because one of the biggest goals for this release is secure by default um, because everybody has learned and that's Adobe, that's Lucy, that's Coldbox. People never lock stuff down. They always leave the administrator open. They always leave the default passwords. They always leave the debugging templates on. And um, so with command box, I've, I've just been in a war path saying, okay, it has to be, you drop command box on a server, you start a server, it needs to be secure, like right then, right? But I want it to be easy to be like, oh, I want to be in developer mode. Okay, you know, everything opens back up. Um, so there's there's some stuff that was pointed out, some additional security things. And so um, we're now blocking flash remoting by default in production mode, which again could potentially be backwards compatibility, but there's a nice little easy flag. If you're one of the like 1% of people using flash or flex forms with your command box server, you, you just turn it right back on, it's fine. Um, we've changed like the static files on the web server to be a whitelist. I don't like that necessarily because it's a bit heavy handed, but there were some, uh, some things you could do that I didn't like with command box and undertow that the only way to really truly say, no, this is completely guaranteed, this can't be exploited, was just to give a whitelist. So basically, um, the static server inside of uh, inside a command box will only serve up, you know, a, it's, a, it's a pretty big list. I have it in the docs, you know, the text files, HTML files, JSON files, you know, all that stuff that will serve up. But it won't serve up, you know, like jar files by default or DLLs or EXEs or you know, CFM files or anything like that is just static content. Um, so I, I, had, I updated the release blog to have a couple kind of compatibility notes. Um, that's like, you know, just so you know, you may have relied on being able to directly download jar files from your site and it's not gonna work, but there's everything I've done that is a backwards compatibility you know, change. I say backwards compatibility, it's just, it's a change in how the web server works. I have a flag that you can flip to get the old behavior back but it's just something you need to be aware about it's all in the docs um and i'm feeling really good about about the security of just kind of the default lockdown to get out of the box now and of course if you have any additional feedback um things that you think command box should be blocking like you know dot emv files box.json files so anything i've missed you know holler at me and we can look at getting it added but that's what that is got it yeah i thought it was funny your point about not liking to do a point update right after a major. I feel like that's like a rite of passage. 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I'd love to get some statistics on, you know, number of libraries that had a major version and how long between that and their first uh, patch. I bet it's less than a day for most. <laughs> That's uh, that would be a good question. Of course, I mean, <laughs> Adobe's unfortunately broken stuff and updaters, and they just like take a month to fix it, <laughs> so they don't always turn around and and release something, but. Yeah, that's the way it is. I mean, library developers always want people to test stuff before they release it. Um, and users of the product just want the stupid library developers to not code bugs so they don't have to worry about it and they can just upgrade it and it all works. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll figure that out. Yeah, I think the best testing I've ever gotten is just on the libraries that I code myself and the projects that use them because then I can kind of sneak it in like okay we're updating to the beta today <laughs> oh there's well, problems yeah. and that's that's why i don't like to close tickets right before a release i like there to be like a bit of gap where like nothing's been touched nothing's been crammed in at the last minute i mean because like the, the command box 5.1.1 release was a fix for a commit that went in like two days before the command box 5.1.0 release which is like the exact scenario i don't like to do because that's always the time something sneaks in so yeah i like yeah. to have it kind of just sitting out there and using it because a lot of times you'll kind of rat out those those bugs yourself if right. you give yourself some time very true well everybody that uh go ahead and upgrade command box you can do that right from command box uh using upgrade dash dash latest yeah and that'll give you the download link um where you can go get whatever the binary is for your um operating, for your operating system. system yep awesome all right, next, there's been a <clears throat> excuse me, a release of the Lucy Spreadsheet Library 2.12. Um, I love the Lucy Spreadsheet Library. It is fantastic. So to be clear, this isn't the CF Spreadsheet extension. This is the library that does the same kind of stuff, but it's just like a, a service object, right? Uh, yes, it's not a Lucy extension. It's just drop it in, um, load up the, the jar files. Right which I think it's like the POI library underneath. And then um, yeah, it's yeah. a very efficient spreadsheet library. I remember when we switched from uh, at the previous job from Adobe ColdFusion to Lucy, we were very surprised how much faster this was than kind of the native CF spreadsheet stuff. I'm not that surprised because I've seen some pretty terrible performance <laughs> on Adobe ColdFusion with big <laughs> spreadsheets. So yeah, so uh, Sam Knowlton just said in the Slack, it's the library that people actually use instead of the spreadsheet <laughs> extension. I, I think if you have an Adobe ColdFusion code base and you want to be able to throw it on Lucy and make it work, you can drop in the CF spreadsheet extension. I think for the most part it works. But from what I've always heard, and I don't, luckily I don't deal much with spreadsheets. Um, and when I do, if it's just a basic export, I'll totally cheat and just make it be like a CSV file with the right extension because Excel will open it. Um, but from what I've from what I've always heard is that um, this library here, the Lucy spreadsheet, is super powerful, and it's really not that much work to convert, you know, a CF spreadsheet tag over to just use the calls in this library, which is, you know, purely CFML wrapped around the POI stuff. So, so I've always heard great things about it. Yeah, um, more follow up from Sam Knowlton in the chat is that they use that extension for Lucy and it made them sad according to his words <laughs> took about it says about 10 minutes to update 20 calls and they were done so to, to the Lucy spreadsheet to the Lucy library, spreadsheet yeah. library so we're not talking not about bad. a big migration so so yeah uh, version 2.12 is out you can go grab it um, I that one is on Forgebox as well so um, do you know if there's release notes anywhere that talks about what's in this version um, I can drop a link to the tag. The GitHub tag has some release notes. Okay. So I'm reading through the the README, which has a bunch of information, but I don't I don't see like a uh, yeah. Chris Julie. Okay, Brad, hold on just a second. People are telling us they lost audio for you, which is probably my fault. 
Try again. La, 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 la. Can you guys hear me now? Can you hear me now? Check, check, check. Check into cash. All right, we're back. Check into cash. Ooh. All right. Sorry about that, everybody. What Brad said was genius. and uh, <laughs> I installed world it. hunger. I mean, jeez. <laughs> or just but, something about, uh, you know, Lucy's spreadsheet. So Yeah, that too. Eric thought we were going by the presidential debate rules where they were just going to mute the mic when the time was up. So I guess my time was up. <laughs> All righty. Next point. Let's go to the Orders October webinar has been announced. It is from Mira to Content Box, staying on the open source upgrade track. So, uh, you might have heard the news, especially if you've listened to our podcast, that Mira has gone to closed source and to a different licensing model. And for those of you who are now wondering, well, we didn't really need to all the power of Mira and all the um, licensing that comes with that. We'd like to stay on something uh, open source. Content Box is an awesome option. So John Clausen is going to take us through um, some of the differences between Mirror and Content Box and how to migrate your application. So he is, uh, it's, it's said that he is going to do a full conversion of a Mirror CMS site to Content Box in this webinar. So that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, that does sound good. I think there's a lot of people probably in the position of, uh, of using Mirror right now and they're just using it for an open source uh, purpose and they don't want to switch to the, uh, the new licensing. So I think I think Content Box is an excellent uh, destination for them to jump to. I was just talking with someone yesterday on Slack, um, and they were saying, "But does, does, does Content Box doesn't have as many extensions as Mira?" Um, I said, "Well, it, honestly, it probably doesn't. Um, Mira has had a pretty big ecosystem, but the the way that we get an ecosystem in Content Box is that people build stuff and they put it on ForgeBox. Um, if you go to ForgeBox right now, you can look at the Content Box themes." Uh, category, the content box widgets category, and the contents box content box modules category, and you can see quite a, a good list of, of community built themes and modules and widgets that are out there. Um, but content box is incredibly extendable. It's built on top of Coldbox MVC, so it has the whole modular framework underneath it, and it's probably more now. At one time, Luis had said there were over 200 custom interception points that fire inside of content box, whenever, you know, blogs are published, authors are added, you know, events happen. And those are all uh, extension points. You can write a module to tie in and you can customize content box. So if you're doing some custom stuff in Mirror and you're thinking, is this possible in content box? The answer is probably certainly yes. It may not be built right now, but it can be. And we would love to see it uh, added to uh, to ForgeBox so other people can use it. So yeah. I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited about people coming over to content box and helping bring some of that, uh, that ecosystem with them. Yeah, absolutely. So that webinar is this Friday. It's at 11 AM central time here in the United States. And you can register at ordersolutions.com slash events slash webinars. And you have that link in the chat. <clears throat> Perfect. Okay. Um, a couple in case you missed it, there was an online CF meetup. It was a CF AMA, Ask Me Anything with Charlie Earhart mm -hmm. and Dan Wilson. So they, um, as you might be able to tell from the title, it was asking them anything. So I'm actually not sure. Did you Were you able to attend that one, Brad? Uh, I did not make it. Charlie's in the chat. Maybe he can give us a quick update. Tell us uh, if anybody asked them any like really embarrassing personal questions or <laughs> it says really that they're um that they were looking at about CF features, coding challenges, configuration or tuning, upcoming CF version, things like that. All right. Charlie uh, says it went well, and the recording is available online at recordings.coldfusionmeetup.com, which I think is one of the um, links we have. So yeah, I put in the link straight to the YouTube. I believe we can get there the same. Uh, you can get there through the recordings as well. Perfect. So. Uh, Charlie says they're going to do another one, and I assume he means another Ask Me Anything. So. Uh, will uh, will it be uh, you and Dan again, or will you guys mix it up? Give Charlie a second to respond. Um, ooh, he says he could mix it up. Ooh, well, we'll see who he gets on this next time. So All yeah, right. keep your. We'll let you know when that's announced and how you can watch it. So thanks for getting for participating in the chat here, Charlie. That helps us out. Uh, next, we have the Seattle Cold Fusion User Group. 
which is also online. It has a hands-on deep dive into interacting with the Thinkific API. And this is November 11th, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time. So I'm assuming that this is online. Yes. I just want to check. So, yep, you can go learn about uh, the Thinkific API. Thinkific is a top platform for online course delivery. And I believe it builds on one of the meetups they had this month um, about interacting with the Thinkific API. So, uh, yes, in fact, that's our next point in the news is there is a recording of their last meetup, which was on integrating your ColdFusion app with Thinkific again. So looks like we're going deeper. Nice. We'll put That's both cool. those links in the show notes, one to register for the next meetup and one to watch the recording of the last one. Got it. Yeah, I like this as a series because when you started announcing this one, I was thinking, man, I thought this one already happened, but yeah. that's, <laughs> they're doing more than one on the same thing. So yeah, uh, the 14th was the, um, October 14th was the first one. This is pretty cool. I'm guessing someone at their user group is uh, is doing some cool stuff with Thinkific, which probably spawned this. Yeah, that's like awesome. It. Okay, last bit of news is just to remind you that this is the last week of Hacktoberfest 2020. <coughs> so again, Hacktoberfest is oh a way to give back to open source in opening four pull requests throughout the month of October. Um, I know I've gotten quite a few on the docs for QB and Quick, which I very much appreciate. Mm-hmm. All of our docs have gotten quite a few pull requests. That that reminds me, I need to get a couple uh, stinking pull requests in. Yeah, <laughs> got to make sure you catch up, right? I know. Well, um, the first couple that I had were actually some of my pull requests to Lucy, which ironically I didn't do originally for Oktoberfest, but it was like, oh hey, this will be perfect. Um, yeah, so I only have two of four. I need to I need to find a couple pull requests somewhere that I can I can send in to get my four. I only have a few days left. Yeah, and. Also remember that if you do submit a pull request, uh, you might need to gently ask the maintainer to add the right Hacktoberfest tags. Yeah, the tag can be added to the to the main repo, or they can put a tag on the pull request itself, and it needs to be merged or accepted, I believe, to count. Yep. So, um, if it has yep. the the right tag, it doesn't have to be merged. Um, okay, I, so just tagging the pull. If, if the pull request is tagged Hacktoberfest accepted, it counts just like that. Got it. If the repo <clears throat> is tagged with Hacktoberfest, it must be approved or merged. All right. That makes sense. So That's I, good. I mean, that doesn't put pressure on maintainers if there's a big pull and they're not quite ready to approve it, but they mm-hmm. appreciate it and want it to still count. They can at least put the tag on yeah. it. Additionally, uh, you can add <clears throat> that tag and close the pull request. You know, maybe you don't want to add that to your project. You can still... Ver, you know, validate their effort. Yeah, well, I've seen pulls that so. end up getting manually merged a slightly different way, but they, you know, the code still makes it into the project one way or yep. another. Exactly. So last week, if you are looking to do to get that in and maybe you haven't started yet, again, docs are, are a great place to go. You know, read through the docs, and when you see something that doesn't quite make sense or some typos, open the pull request for it. And yeah, all all of the order docs are on GitHub. All the Lucy docs are on GitHub. All of CF docs are on GitHub, and I believe all of those repos are tagged for Hacktoberfest. And the order docs, we usually merge those pulls the second they pop in our inbox. I mean, I look at it to make sure it's nothing silly, and as long as it's yeah, <laughs> as long as it's like, yep, that that's a real pull merge. Yeah, don't waste time on those. Awesome. Okay. All right, so some new content on CF casts. Yes, I, let me. There we Ooh, go. See we cats. just debuted our bite-sized Spanish language videos. Mm. Yeah, we've been hard at work getting CFCast ready to be um, multilingual, multilingual, localized, and uh, we got our first videos going up this last uh, week. Who's going to read these? Bases de la programación, introducción, conceptualización, parte uno. I don't know if I did any of that right. That's I can pretty, tell it says good. introduction and <laughs> concept part one. All right, this is awesome. I mean, I know that, you know, Ortis has, <laughs> Luis just exploded. Um, you know, Ortis is really, you know, trying to push for uh, for CFML uptake and some.
Hey, 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 Brad, hold on. It whatever happened before happened again. Okay, now you're back again. I don't know what that is. I apologize. Oh, oh, I'm back. You're back. No, I was just saying how exciting it is to have stuff in in Spanish, and I'm sure that whatever work was done to be able to do two languages can probably be built on if we want to do additional languages as well in the yeah. future. So. I know coming soon, um, these videos will be marked with, you know, a little little flag for your for the language, and you'll be able to in your profile um, show which languages you'd like to see videos for. So if you don't speak Spanish and you don't want those videos to pop up, you can hide those. If you speak both languages and want to see both, you can see that. So or maybe if you want to learn Spanish, yeah. this is your chance to just absorb Spanish content. That's right. You've been waiting for this moment. And it's an it's nice to be ready for the upcoming uh, Into the Box Latam and be ready to host all those videos here on CFCast as well. Awesome. Okay. All right. Speaking of conferences, what is this group by conference here in the show notes? I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's a free volunteer run event uh, for SQL. So um, I haven't attended it myself, but I it is this week on October 27th and 28th. But that's today and tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but you can still sign up. Again, it's free, and it's just going into different SQL topics. So it is a nice name. Group by is a great name for a conference about SQL. I feel like they could take it farther. You know, like they could work more like SQL keywords somehow into the into their conference, like a having track and an aggregate track. I, I'm just <laughs> spitballing here. So you can go check that out. Again, it's going on right now. Um, free group org. Okay. Uh, next one we have is we talked about this earlier. There's one more virtual training for Ordis this year. It is November 5th and 6th and it is on quick and that will be led by myself. You can go ahead and sign up at ordersolutions.com slash events and use the coupon code podcast10 for 10% off. So that's in like a week and a half, right? Yep. That's not this weekend, but the next one. John Ferrar, have you signed up yet? I know. He's, Actually, he's, I, don't think John, I don't think John's in the chat today. Well, we're calling you out because you've asked me more than anybody else. <laughs> Doesn't that mean he gets a free ticket? Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's worth a shot. <laughs> So, and again, if you've been saving uh, your into the box coupon as well, you can use that on this. That should be in your email. And if it isn't, go ahead and reach out to us. So we got deploy by Digital Ocean. Yeah, this was oh, the 24 hour conference, isn't it? This is the 24 hour conference. So no matter where you are, you'll be able to uh, get in on some of the conference. So we prefer the term time zone independent. There you go. And this one seems to be a little bit of everything, which you might expect from DigitalOcean since they host a little bit of everything. So some on scaling, some on databases, <clears throat> e-commerce. You know, there's there's likely something that you could you care about in there. Um, I believe it's free as well. And again, uh, 24 hours. So I'd like to see some of the scaling stuff. So, I mean, for any of you guys that don't know, um, you know, Ortis hosts our our own sites on DigitalOcean. So ForgeBox.io, the Order Solutions blog, and the Coldbox site, uh, even our Into the Box site, all that stuff um, we're hosting on, on Docker Swarm, which is part of DigitalOcean. So little, yeah. little selfish uh, in my curiosity in some of the stuff, just since this is uh, stuff that actually sort of applies to our stack. I mean, in theory, we could host just about anywhere, but we like DigitalOcean. Yep. Just scrolling through here looking at their topics. So to uh, jump back a few steps, Scott in the chat was asking about what's in the pipeline for CFCasts. And um, I can't give you dates or even the order it comes out, but some of the things that are being working on are some uh, more CF config videos. What, uh, what's new in Coldbox 6? Uh, VS Code and CFML. And more lessons in the getting started with Quick or build a blog with quick. So those are some of the ones that are being worked on right now, as well as a few other Spanish videos in the series that we just talked about. 
All right, here's a topic on the on the DigitalOcean Deploy Conference. It's called, quote, building an observability platform in 389 difficult steps, end quote. Wow. Seems a little tongue in cheek. I love it. I want to go see that now and count all 389 steps. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's, how many slides does this guy have? So that's the DigitalOcean Deploy. You can go find more information at digitalocean.com slash deploy. Uh, next up, Cold Fusion Summit 2020. It's November 17th through 19th online and free. Um, they have posted some more speakers. And uh, Brad, I was a little surprised by some of yeah. this. What um, was surprising to you? Uh, my picture's up there. Mm, okay, all right. And I did submit a topic, but I don't remember being told what topic they wanted me to talk on. <laughs> Maybe so, they accepted all your topics. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to agree to that one. <laughs> But uh, there's more speakers up there, but still no sessions or anything like that. But we're what if, eagerly awaiting. What if you did all your topics? Oh, there are but, sessions. What? What if you did all your topics, but you combined it down to one, and you would just say one sentence from one topic and just skip to another sentence from another topic, and it would just be like, you know, run your command box scaffold, then bake at 350 for two and a half hours, you know? <laughs> it looks like there are some sessions up under schedule, <clears throat> so you can oh, go ahead yeah. and go there. And uh, I'm gonna be stage. I'm gonna be doing view and inertia looks like so that's cool. I don't see your name. Oh, were you on the 18th? Yeah, there's a schedule, well, folks. So now you know what topic you're doing <laughs> live on the air. Eric has figured it out. Get your front end rolling with view and inertia. Better start writing that talk. Oh, it's done. <laughs> I need to update it for the latest version of inertia and maybe even the latest version of view, but we'll see. Don't forget the part about bacon at 350 for two okay. and a half hours. <laughs> well, that's cool. You can go ahead and check out the schedule now and see which ones that you want to uh, attend. Remember, this is a free conference, so we expect to see you all there virtually. No excuse. No, we don't mean like we want to like virtually see you all there. Like we really actually want to see you all there <laughs> just virtually. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Next up. Uh, certification, Adobe Cold Fusion certification available online. Yep. And I believe it still has their introductory offer of $4.99 for that certification. Do we know how long the introductory offer lasts for, or was there not an end date on it? The introductory offer will, will exist until morale improves. What's that phrase? <laughs> no, beating the beatings will continue until morale improves. There we go. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I haven't heard about how long it's going to last, but, uh, it would be sad if you thought it was going to last longer and then it went up and you had to pay a higher price. So, so sign up now, I guess. There you go. And last December 3rd and 4th is Into the Box LATAM. This is a the live virtual conference in Spanish and a little bit of English. It Just is English. $7 and you can find more at uh, LATAM, L-A-T-A-M dot into the box dot org. And uh, Brad, are, am I right that you're speaking this year at that one? I am. I'm going to do... Uh, Are you I'm the Spanglish gonna... one? Yeah. <laughs> Hola, me amo Bernardo. Yeah, so I'm doing a session on, on just getting introduced to Command Box because a lot of the the people that they draw from uh, from El Salvador and Central America don't even know Cold Fusion or CFML. Um, but I'm going to be <clears throat> speaking in English and they're going to help me get slides that have Spanish translations of, in theory, most of what I'm saying. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how that works. But I have been roped into that. I don't know how any slide could be a translation of what you're going to say. Yeah, you usually not... say more words than what'll fit on a slide. So. <laughs> That'll be entertaining, though. So I'll have to go watch just that one and laugh. Probably have to slow my roll a little bit and say less. <laughs> I I tend to to be more like Luis, and I always joke that Luis is a more is more guy, and so am I. You know, people say less is more. I'm like, no, more is more. I mean, less is more. That's dumb more all these features look at all the stuff you can do so i'll have to figure out how to whittle that down <laughs> awesome okay that's it for our conferences this week <clears throat> let's jump into some blogs tweets and videos of the week mm, got some from ben the dell queued up i'll get a whole little ben the dell corner yes we do it's like even labeled that in our show notes it's the ben the dell blogs tweets and videos of the week um, let's jump into some of them. So the first one is about considering data workflows within a MongoDB data access layer. 
I, I don't think I've read most of Ben's posts this week. I've somehow been incredibly busy. Yeah. So um, this has been exploring, uh, you know, a data access layer in um, kind of the way I understand it are a group of CFCs or a single CFC that you're writing to interact with a database. And usually that's, you know, a SQL database, CF query, CF query param, all that. And Ben was exploring here. What would it look like um, to write that same data access layer, but this time with a a document store like Mongo backing it? You know, I keep trying to get Ben onto Couchbase. I was even pointing out the their nickel stuff on Twitter today, but or not today, is yesterday. This, I mean, so this is like this is the sort of idea that you know that gateways or DAOs were kind of you know sold back in like circa 2003 was, you know, you abstract all of your data access into this magical CFC and you can swap out SQL server for, you know, flat text file or XML or Mongo or whatever, you know, and your application doesn't know or care. I don't know what I've actually seen any application that really did that, like just completely changed a backend data store and, you know, the rest of their application didn't know or care. Yeah. Um, but this is at least that aside, a pretty interesting, just kind of like, full experiment and what would it look like to have an entire, you know, DAO that was all built on Mongo. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to look to see if he's passing back like CFC instances or just structs and arrays. It's just some structs, um, <clears throat> not, not the Java like BSON documents, but it's native cold fusion um, like structs and arrays. So. All right. Um, what Fair you enough. said about switching out the back end, um, I agree that, most of the time, especially like a data access layer, it's just too big <laughs> to like, like accurately map all of those things. That being said, mm -hmm. early on in CFCast development, um, I had started it as a Postgres app because I love Postgres. And then I was told, actually, this is going to be my SQL. And <laughs> with, a, with one setting change, and I think I had to change the default key, it was working on my SQL. So... But you were using Quick, though, right? Yeah, I was using an, uh, yeah Quick and QB, which there's been a lot of work done to make that that way. <laughs> so I'm sure you could right. do the same with your project, but it's probably just not worth it, the effort and left better to a library. You know, We have a few other libraries like yeah. that. I think of uh, CB Mail Services, where you're able to switch out how you're sending emails or even send them to a log. Um, but again, it makes a lot more sense in a library where you can have all of that tested and know it's working and then you can use the library instead of having to build that yourself yeah i think you have to have a pretty healthy layer of abstraction to really pull off a you know a little switch in the back end and everything just works um in reality a lot of daos i think are pretty tightly coupled to the service that's calling them and what they expect to get and what they you know expect to send back um yeah agreed and in most cases especially on your database that's fine i mean how often do you switch databases in your life? It's probably fine if you need to spend work making that <clears throat> nice. <laughs> yeah, not that much. But I mean, it was the second thing that's kind of interesting about Ben doing this in, in Mongo, <clears throat> I would have thought 10 years ago that like everybody by 2020 would just be like writing their apps in NoSQL databases. Because um, when Mongo kind of blew up and was really big and you saw the user group uh, you know, meetings and the conference sessions and it was no sequel, no sequel. It's amazing. This is the new wave of the future. Everyone's going to write their apps in JSON and no sequel. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I know of anybody that I can think of off the top of my head that actually uses like a JSON document store as like the primary data storage for their application. It just never really seemed to catch on, which is interesting. Yeah. I think the, the most that I've used it is actually with Elasticsearch, which you could argue is more of a document based um, yeah. but kind of is serving a different need of quick searching rather than, you know, actually not sure what the big NoSQL benefit is that they sell. I'm, I'm just a relational database guy. Um, see, it depends on your perspective, right? Because I mean, people would say uh, NoSQL is amazing because there's no schema and you cram whatever you want into the JSON and that's a feature. But, you know, a, a standard relational database guy might be like, no, that's terrible. Like, that's not a feature. That's a detriment. You know, a relational database is a feature because you have a schema and you can know the columns exist and you know they'll have values. So I think it kind of depends on how you yeah. look at it. But it's I like, like a, what you said. Go ahead. It's like a dynamic versus static language. 
Right. Now, I think that does fit more with Cold Fusion since we kind of like to play fast and loose with our variables, yeah. you know, unlike, you know, a, a strongly typed language uh, like Java, you know. But anyway, I, I like what you had said, though, about I, I think the places where I have seen this is alongside a relational database. People have a database with their structure, their normalization, you know, their foreign keys. And then they have like these nice denormalized document stores that they kind of extract out of that, which can be indexed. It can, you know, be used for searching. It can be used for, um, you know, kind of caching and stuff like that. And it does seem to work nice in that particular arena. Yeah. Cool. Let's move on to the next uh, Ben Nadal post about... Um, an experiment he tried with nested query objects. This one was bah, weird. Bah, bah. <laughs> so um, he mentions that he noticed that queries, in, as a in addition to being able to take values, you know, like strings, numbers, um, timestamps, could take some other values like arrays, structs, and even other query objects. Yeah, and, and basically you can you can cram anything you want in the cell of a of a, a query in Cold Fusion. Any variable that you can have a reference to, you can stick it into a cell. Which I've used this a, a couple times. I don't do it all the time. Most people get queries from the database, and there's only a certain you know number of things they're going to have. But if you just create a query object manually or take one for the database and start setting stuff into it. Um, I was sharing with you earlier that the uh, the DocBox library actually does this internally. It has a query object of all the files on disk, and then it, as it loops over it, it kind of crams metadata and structs and arrays into it. Um, now, this obviously limits what you can do with it as far as like running queries of queries and stuff on it. And you can't you can't run a query query and filter on a column that has an array crammed into it. You'll probably get some weird error if you tried. But um, Cold Fusion itself certainly doesn't really care what you stick into them, which is interesting yeah i i think it's neat that it is flexible like that though i have to say it's one that doesn't really use query objects and favors arrays instead like this is even weirder <laughs> i mean see i don't think it's any weirder than sticking any variable you want into a struct or sticking any variable you want into an array i mean the query is just a, a holder construct that's organized with an idea of columns and rows and i can stick whatever the data i want in it just like any other data structure and cold fusion. It's just that you typically think of queries only having like strings, numbers, and dates. Yeah. If you say so, I just am much more comfortable with arrays and structs, I guess. But see, but you would probably still have an array of structs and the structs internally had other structs and you wouldn't think anything about that. No, no, I would not. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's all this is. All righty. So thanks for that experiment, Ben. It was definitely interesting. Yep. Okay. Um, la uh, next one from Ben. I think we have two more. Uh, is about using closures to encapsulate file read line operations in Lucy. And Brad, I think you had some uh, comments on this based on what you do with the Rabbit SDK. Is that right? Well, yeah. I don't. I don't know if Ben's blog was kicked off by my tweet or if this is something he was doing already. Oh no. So yeah, he was listening to our episode seventy-five. And I was talking about a tweet that I sent um, where Cold Fusion, in addition to its just file read function, which reads an entire file in the memory, has built-in functions where you can read a file line by line, which is more performant and has less overhead. The, the trick with that is now you have to be more careful of your code in a way that Java developers do, where you have to open the file object, read the lines, and you have to put it inside of a try-catch, and you have to have a finally block, and you have to make sure you close the file object. Otherwise, you'll get really bad things that happen because these file objects get left open if there's an error that happens. Um, and so Ben <clears throat> was talking about a really great way to kind of encapsulate that logic of you have to open it, you have to read it, you have to make sure you close it, and if you skip one of those steps, um, bad things happen, which is basically using closures um, to be able to encapsulate the work you want to do on the file object and then wrapping up the opening and the reading and the closing all inside of a, a UDF, um, which I think is, is, a, is a great way to abstract this because then in your code, the code that matters in your service layer, or your handler, or wherever it is you're doing this, you can kind of dispense with that boilerplate of, oh crap, I forgot to use a finally block to close the file and now I have a bunch of open file objects in production because it's not working right. 
Um, and I, I, I pointed out to him on Twitter, I did the same thing, the rabbit SDK, where you have to open a channel, you send commands on the rabbit channel, and you have to close the channel. And if you skip the close, bad things happen and channels just get left open. Um, I did the same thing with the batch method, where you can just pass a, a closure to say, here's the thing that I want to do. And then the SDK will take that closure and run it in the context of the open and closing of the channel, which is what, what Ben's doing here with the open and closing of the file. I think it's a great way to encapsulate some of that boilerplate. Yeah. I love uh, as well, passing functions everywhere. It's so flexible. I mean, that's what QB is really built on. Whenever you need to have a complex query, you just throw a, a closure in and now you can do stuff inside there that I didn't have to think about would somebody want to do this with the library? <laughs> it's just giving that control back to the user. So, okay. Yeah. Very one, cool. One more from Ben. It is a closer look at error handling during parallel array iteration. You know, it was funny. I kind of chuckled is Ben was talking about um, the run async and some of the each stuff. Um, and he was sort of complained to a bit that it's not a great method of handling when an error happens and you're doing these kind of asynchronous iterations over uh, data structures, the the irony is these are problems that have been solved in other languages, um, in like Java streams, for instance, they have much better ways to deal with what happens when an error happens while you're inside of a stream processing um, items. And, and cold fusion has been much slower in kind of catching up with the design patterns that languages like Java have put into their um into their streams yeah but yeah I, I, as soon as i saw this post i was like yeah i i know where he's going with this and these are the pain points that other languages are are five years ahead of us now if you use the cb streams library that Luis wrote um in cold fusion you you get that power but as, as ben was pointing out just doing a regular um parallel uh you know iteration over an array dealing with errors can be a bit of pain that's right yeah so the idea is throwing from an asynchronous um, block. In this case, it was using Lucy's uh, parallel each um, does not stop the execution of the loop, which makes sense because it's been thrown back into a thread. And like Brad said, I immediately thought of um, either you can think of promises in JavaScript or mm -hmm. futures in Java and in the CB futures built into Coldbox that make this uh, much easier to catch errors and even stop the asynchronous processing if an error is thrown. So, um, so th yeah, it's something to watch out for and also a great plug for uh, some more modern thread handling like CB Futures. Uh, CB Streams. Wait, no. Uh, probably well, both. I, I'm, I'm referencing CB Futures that's built into Coldbox. Uh, Right. So and I was thinking that, that Luis changed the name of it. Um, and it was originally CB Futures, and now we called it something else. But it's not actually a standalone library. It's actually bundled with the, the box core, the Wirebox core, and the Coldbox core. Right. Because um, it just came across a GitHub repo like this week that was called like CB Futures. And, but then I was like, well, wait a minute. That's not what Luis, Luis eventually named it. Um, I think Scott Steinbeck's right. I think Luis calls it just like the async manager now in Coldbox. But he'd originally started out calling the library CB Futures. But anyway, that's caused some uh, confusion in my mind as to... Got it. I'll throw what. the link to the Coldbox docs here in the show notes in the chats. Um, I do believe he still has it called the Coldbox Future, which is okay. wrapping the Java's completable future. Yeah, completable but, future. I was trying to see if I could find a page that talked about air handling in the futures um, so I could send it to Ben. Because my... it. My response to Ben is always, no, we have a box library that does that, right? <laughs> um, so I was trying to see if I could find a reference to what I was talking about, but I'll have to dig through the docs. The GitHub search doesn't always uh, serve me well. Yeah. Okay. I think we've uh, reached the end of the Ben section. Uh, we do have a few more blogs and tweets and videos to go over. So uh, the first one, we have a couple next from Adam Cameron, who we haven't heard from in a while. So Who's that? Let's dive into these. The first one is um, quickly running Cold Fusion via Docker, and this is specifically um, Adobe Cold Fusion using their image. So it's a nice uh, overview. If again, if you haven't uh, ran Docker much, telling you how to bind the ports and get your volumes mounted and all that. 
uh, again with an Adobe, the official Adobe Cold Fusion image. Um, we of course are biased and would probably reach for command box image and run Adobe on that, but that's fine. You can use whatever one that you like. And you can make life harder for yourself. We don't care. <laughs> and then the next uh, one was looking at a issue with cache put and cache get in Lucy, or maybe it's Cold Fusion. Maybe it's both. Um, but it is kind of a common case of using and passing around structs, where structs are put by reference. Mm -hmm. And so it's showing an issue where you can put a <clears throat> struct into the cache change the struct and then when you ask it for it from the cache it has been changed it has been modified because it is just looking at that reference and it really applies to any complex variable it could be an array and it could be a query object um, yes. as well yeah i i know i've dealt with that quite a bit in qb um we have our own dedicated clone method because duplicate can be really bad and uh mm -hmm. but i can't just pass over a new one those structs have to be different so yeah, see, and I was already familiar with that. When I saw the tweet, I wasn't surprised at all, but I've actually gone around with that. Um, Lucy had a built-in functionality um, back a handful of versions ago that severely bit a client of ours that we were doing some performance tuning with, and they were using the built-in query caching where you just put you know, the little cached within, and behind the scenes, you know, Lucy sticks the query object inside of um, whatever the query cache is, which uh, in their instance, they were using, I think, RAM cache to some sort of, it might've been an EH cache, but whatever it was, it was an in-process cache right there in RAM. Um, and their site cached some pretty like chunky query objects with a lot of rows and under extreme load, when they was getting that query object out of the cache, Lucy was running it through the duplicate function. So it would duplicate the object coming out. So, so changes to the query wouldn't affect the one in cache. Um, and of course, the tweet you're referencing was just talking about the generic cache get cache put, and that behavior never existed there. This was specific to queries. Um, and of course, under load with that particular client, their site would just fall over. Well, there was a couple things wrong. The first thing was the duplicate was was rather heavy and was unnecessary in like 99% of the cases. The second problem was that there was some really stupid Java code in Lucy that made the duplicate single threaded because the duplicate functions were synchronized. Um, so when 50 threads all said, get me this object from the cache right now. And Lucy was like, hold on, let me duplicate it 50 times. They would all have to wait on each other, which was just terrible. Um, Lucy, after working with Misha, he'd actually changed it. So it no longer duplicates the query objects anymore, which I love, but he built like a wrapper query object. That's really smart. And if you try to modify the query in any way at that point in time, it duplicates it right there. Mm. So the 99% of people that don't you know, modify stuff they pull from the cache, no duplication happens. But as soon as you go in and you're like, you're, I'm the 1% and I want to change the cell value, Lucy's like, hold on, let me duplicate it real quick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you know, it's still, it's a complex object, it's stored in an in-process cache. And unless work is done to duplicate it or to, you know, detach it, then you change it once you change it everywhere, which I can see how that would be uh, unexpected if you're not looking yeah. for that to happen. Um, another thing to note is, at least for EH cache, there is a, a copy on write setting that you can set. It is mm, false by yeah. default. If you turn that on to true, it will duplicate it at the time you put it into the cache, and then they will no longer be the same reference. So, okay. Um, we have a tweet from James Moberg um, about asking about a Tomcat being out of date on Cold Fusion 2016. Yeah, I saw that tweet. He tweeted at the official Adobe security um, Twitter account, and they basically told him, yeah, you need to contact PCERT. Because <laughs> he had said something to the effect of, like, are you just for marketing? Like, what is your purpose, Adobe security Twitter channel, if you apparently don't do anything? I'm guessing they're just used as a, as a mouthpiece of, hey, security updates. Uh, they don't appear to actually do anything as far as reporting stuff. They just point, point you at the actual PCERT. But yeah, there's a handful of, uh, of kind of Tomcat, Tomcat security updates, like you said. And I think that uh, he was pointing out that several of the Adobe ColdFusion releases by 2016, which is still technically supported uh, by Adobe, have not updated their um, their versions of Tomcat. So yeah, good on uh, James for keeping, keeping on them on that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, the next is a video by Matt Clemente writing the CFML SDK for the EverSign API. 
So Eversign is an e-signature API. And if you have never uh, used or watched Matt make an API, you're in for a treat because he has made quite a few very well-designed API wrappers. So check out that video. We'll put the link in the show notes and here in the chat. You can uh, watch how he does that. Okay, the next one is by Steve Bryant, returning a list of related records in SQL Server. Uh, this was an interesting see. one uh, because it has to do, so the SQL Server is specific, but this there's other ways to do this in other databases. Um, returning a list of related records inside of a query. So Oh, yeah, I've seen this before. I haven't used this trick in years. Yeah, yeah he uses the XML functionality to basically concat. It's kind of like a, an aggregate function, if you will. Yeah, that takes a, a list of things, wraps them up in a single uh, cell with commas between them. It's a nice little trick. Yeah, I believe in MySQL, I might get this wrong. Nope. No, it, it might be in SQL Server as well. There's a string ag function that does something similar where it can take all the values in a column or in different rows and put a separator between them. So, you know, back in the day when I was doing um, a lot of SQL Server 2005 stuff, one of my first jobs, um, I had a custom aggregate function I had installed. It was a little like CLR. It was like a DLL you had to install on SQL Server. Um, and it specifically <clears throat> was an aggregate that would turn it into a common delimited list. And we'd, we'd really only use it for reporting. Um, but if we had a report and we, and we wanted, you know, aggregate up, aggregate up, you know, some items and put it in it. Um, and it did the same basic thing as the XML. And I think this may have been before uh, SQL Server had the, uh, that built-in XML trick. Yeah. It's a nice little thing, though. I mean, I, I run into it a lot when I'm doing reporting. And I just want to be able to cram a list of things. I don't want to have to loop over it myself. Yep. Okay. Uh, Very good. Ordis has published our ending the year in the high note, which is going over what we have left for this year, all the different events and workshops. So you can check that out on our blog to get a high level overview. It includes our some of our workshops and webinars and into the box with Tam. And to wrap it up, we have a post by Pete Freitag, a one liner to download a browser with PowerShell on Windows Server. So evidently Windows Server 2019, despite having 2019 in the name, still comes with uh, IE 11. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. So, His blog opens up. It would be nice if Windows Server 2019 came with Microsoft Edge browser, but it still comes with good old IE 11. And he has good strike through. <laughs> Just old IE 11. So he has a power. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you have to jump through hoops. Yep. So he has a, power ahead, a PowerShell thing there for installing uh, Microsoft Edge or Firefox. So where's That's Chrome? <laughs> I don't know. Is that allowed on Windows Server? I guess Chrome and isn't know. Chrome and Microsoft Edge basically the same thing now? They're both Chromium. I, <laughs> I really haven't used Edge that much. I I still have a Windows Seven machine that I use for most of my stuff. Oh, I I doubt Edge even runs on it. Oh, I can't upgrade it, man. The motherboard's from 2012, and it's too old to upgrade. <laughs> I don't want to buy a whole new PC. I'm going right. to start my own Patreon. Get say, Brad we need, a we need Windows 10 machine. <laughs> <laughs> Help me get off Windows 7. It's, it's cold and scary in here. There's going to be people in the chat now that don't want you to upgrade, so <clears> you continue to support Windows 7 with Command Box. <laughs> um, Charlotte just had a really good point in the chat. Um, you know, I should have sent a tweet about this because I was watching it. Um, I'm in the Adopt Open JDK Slack, and I was watching the stuff come through. Uh, new updates to Java 8 and Java 11 have came out this week. Um, they've already been added to the Adopt Open JDK builds, and I know this because when I started a server yesterday, uh, all of a sudden I saw it auto-downloading a new version of Java 11 because uh, I was using Command Box, of course, and I was like, oh, sweet, there must be a Java 11 update, and sure enough, there was some stuff coming out. Um, I believe that I saw some chatter recently that Adobe... It takes a few days before they update their downloads. So if you're an Adobe ColdFusion person using the official Java downloads from Adobe, I think you have to wait a couple days for them to get the downloads on their site. Um, but Oracle came out with them a few days ago. Like I said, the Open JDK builds have already been pushing them. Um, but yeah, it looks like Charlie has a uh, a blog post, I think, here. Um, yeah. It covers some of that stuff too. So. If you're all about the latest versions of Java, 
check those out. And of course, uh, you may be thinking uh, Java 11. Why didn't Java 14 uh, or other things? Remember, Java 11 is the uh, long-term support version of, uh, uh, of Java right now. So the Java 12 and 13 and 14 are all kind of smaller releases. And I, I think Java 15 might be the next LTS. I'm not positive on that one, but that's why a lot of people are still on Java 11 because it's the one that's going to get all the, the updates. Makes sense. Same reason I stick oh. to the LTS versions on Node. I don't wow. Okay. So Charlie says it's not going to be until Java 17 that's the next LTS. Dang. Oh, all right. Okay. Okay. Let's switch over to find a job. So there are three new jobs this week on getcfmljobs.com. Uh, there is a senior ColdFusion developer at San Diego, California. A full-time ColdFusion development team lead in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And it looks like maybe the same ColdFusion development team lead was posted twice. So, got a, a new Canada job and a new one in San Diego. Um, additionally, Get CFML Jobs has over 35 positions from 22 companies, 18 locations, and 5 countries. Lastly, Ordis still is um, accepting applications for a senior ColdFusion developer. Uh, U.S. time zone availability is a must and U.S. citizen or resident or work visa. You can find more information about that one at ordersolutions.com slash about-us slash careers. Sweet. Okay, on to the ForgeBox module of the week. Oh, you said it wrong. It's ForgeBox module of the week. Week, week, week. That's how it goes. I really wish I had a soundboard right now. And Gavin, get one, I, take that clip, I, and just push the button. <laughs> you know, I've told Gavin we should have little, like, stupid, like, you know, transition songs and sound effects that, you know, it's like blogs and tips of the week. We push a button and some stupid jingle plays. Yeah. If you would like that, please support us on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com. We need you on Patreon to help <laughs> us do this. Okay. Um, the Forgebox module of the week is uh, JSoup by Dom Bellamy. So this one is something you can just box install CBJSoup and you can it handles all the wiring up of the Java stuff for you. JSoup is a um, an HTML parsing library built on Java and you can give it an HTML string or path and then kind of jQuery style selectors go through and find different nodes for it. Um, I know I use JSoup in an old testing project called integrated which would let you make sure that different form fields are on the page and um, elements and fill them in and it's a wonderful library so that's uh, cbj soup by dom bellamy yeah if you find yourself parsing html with regular expressions and you're Don't. thinking this doesn't work very well you need to look at JSoup. it doesn't work well because it's not supposed to <laughs> no, html that is, that is, is correct html is not a regular language mm -hmm. so on to the uh, Visual Studio Code hint, tip, and trick of the week. We have a module called Copy Relative Path. It does exactly what it sounds like. And it will copy it from where you've opened the folder instead of the full absolute path. I've used it quite often in conjunction with Command Box and uh, specifically CF Format when I want to format a single file and I don't want to just type it out and hit tab a bunch of times. I can copy the relative path, paste it in, and there you go. So Yeah, that's nice. Um, I've wanted the same uh, functionality before for the same reasons. You know, I'm, I'm doing something inside of the, the web root of that project, and I want to be able just to snag just that without the C colon slash Brad document users, blah, 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 that comes before it. Yep. That's good. So uh, small extension does exactly what it sounds like. You can go ahead and install it today. Does what it says on the tin, as Adam Cameron used to say. That's right. Okay, that brings us here to the end and to our Patreon supporters. Party is such sweet sorrow. We couldn't do this without you. We are so grateful for you. And uh, if you're interested in supporting us, you can check it out at patreon.com slash solutions. And now, Brad, do you want to butcher the names for us? Um, I can. I'm busy typing in a chat right now. <laughs> uh, James Moberg was saying in the chat that he got a reply from Adobe's P-cert saying that it was not impacted. Um, which, from my understanding, they're saying that Adobe ColdFusion is not impacted by the Tomcat 
vulnerabilities. Now, they may be saying that because they have like a fork of Tomcat and maybe they've already incorporated or worked around those, but um, I would certainly want them to like 100% confirm that and not just be like flippantly saying <laughs> not impacted. So yeah, um, I'll have to follow up with that, James, because that definitely uh, is a little concerning if, uh, if there's unfixed Tomcat vulnerabilities that are affecting Adobe ColdFusion and the P-Search telling us that it doesn't. So yeah, yeah, I don't, unfortunately, I think their version of Tomcat they use is something they've forked and I don't think the code's available. So it might be difficult to prove um, if those vulnerabilities are present in theirs or not. <laughs> anyway, we'll keep an eye on that. Thanks for, uh, for being on that, James. So onto our Patreon supporters. Who do we have? Not the BGs. Ben Nadell, Brett Deline, Carl von Stetten, Charlie Earhart, Dali, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Bellinger, Didier Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Edward Carabezas, uh, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamry, Kai Koenig, Laxma Turitardi, I say that wrong, sorry, Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Ross Phillips, Ryan Hughes, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Oden, Stephen Klotz, Synaptrix, and Yogesh Mathur. Thank you so much to all you guys for supporting us via Patreon. Thanks for joining us this week for the news, and we will catch you next week in November. All right. Bye, guys. Adios. We can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.